Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. So, my guest today, very first for the Cappuccino podcast, uh, because she's a Winter Olympian, which is the very first time we've ever had a Winter Olympian. We've had Narcos detectives and black belts and everything else, but you're the first, so... A uh, very warm welcome to Anna Wilcox. Uh, she started skiing at the age of four. She finished high school and discovered slopestyle skiing and within a few years is on the world circuit. She has her first World Cup, and correct me if any of this is wrong, <laughs> first World Cup podium in Spain in 2013. She qualifies for the Olympics, Winter Olympics in 2014 in Sochi, Russia. Uh, she gets to the highest position that she was ranked was six in the world. She's also, uh, you may recognise her from Dancing with the Stars or The Crowd Goes Wild. Uh, she comes from a perennial family of underachievers. <laughs> uh, her dad is a five-time America's Cup campaign sailor, three times 470 sailing world champ. Her brother was at the 2016 Olympics for New Zealand for the 470 sailing class. Wow, that's just, yeah. I know, yeah. it's pretty wild. Yeah, it's pretty wild, eh? yeah. So, Anna says this. Pushing my limits and living outside my comfort zone is where I feel most alive and confident. It's slightly addictive and sometimes it ends up with a bandage or two, but you can't deny that it feels awesome to push yourself. So she's sitting here in the police car going, what have I let myself in for? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so we always do a pop quiz round. Um, and basically I'm just going to ask you a whole pile of random questions. Greatest New Zealand Olympian of all time, winter or summer, is who? Oh, um, I'd probably have to say Barbara Kendall. Ooh, She's go. the first that comes to my mind. Yeah, yeah. Good. Just someone who's um, gone to so many and gotten so many, the, the whole variety of medals is pretty impressive. I'm going to tell, tell Dame Val when I see her next. Oh, no, uh, don't. Please, no, I'm no, scared no, of her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you could only ski one ski field for the rest of your life, where would it be? This is an easy one for me. Um, I'm an OG Ruapehu fan, Ooh, to be honest. God, um, yeah. It's got some of the best terrain in the world, and people never believe me when I'm since I've skied in so many places, but honestly, on a good day, nothing beats Ruapehu's terrain. There you go, Europe and Calgary. Yeah. I tried for you. Uh, <laughs> the most embarrassing thing that you've been asked as an athlete is what? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Um, I can't think of anything. Okay. That's, yeah. that's all good. Uh, what was the last book that you read, or are currently reading? I'm currently reading Jodie Pickolt's book, Change of Heart. Cool. Yep. That's all good. If you had to wear a t-shirt with one word on it for an entire year, <laughs> what would that word be? Um, maybe I, the first thing that comes to my mind is, like, stoked. Awesome, that's cool. <laughs> and what's a bucket list item that you have not yet achieved? Um... I really want to go mountain biking in Nepal. That sort of thing yeah, came to mind. All right, I'll put you in touch with Mike Allsop because he's really good for that. Oh, great. All right. Uh, so, North Shore Girl, we've since found out as we got coffee that Anna and I used to go to the same school. Uh, big shout out to Ringa Totoa College. You start skiing at the age of four. Can you remember your first ski experience? All I remember is the feeling that I was I was so hooked on this thing and we would um, I would be like the first one up in the morning at like you know five in the morning or something crazy waiting for like the shuttle to come and pick us up annoying mum and dad with like all my ski gear waiting and if the shuttle was like five minutes late I would throw like a hissy fit because I wanted to ski like from nine at night like 9 a.m till 4 p.m I didn't want to stop so it was more like a feeling but I was I just absolutely like loved it beautiful uh so obviously same high school uh different years Anna's, <laughs> a, Anna's about like 15 years younger than I am and then some um 
what sports did you play at high school? Because if I remember rightly, when I was at college, we used to have a skiing trip. That was about it. Uh, and there weren't too many other options apart from, you know, the stock standard. So what, what did you play? Totally. Um, I played. I, I played hockey. I loved playing hockey. Um, but I was never too drawn to team sports. Actually, I've always been sort of more individual kind of sport sports person. I guess I sailed because I had to. I was forced into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coming from a family, I did, and I never really again like was obsessed with it. But um, I also danced um till I was about sort of sixteen, and lo- and I loved that. And then I was a weekend warrior when I got my license down at the mountains. So my weekends were trying to like hustling down on my restricted, trying to not get, not to get caught on the restricted fine. La 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 la. Anyway, why skiing and not sailing or yachting? Because like you said, you know, and like I said in the intro. All of your family, uh, apart from, uh, even though your mum's a, an accomplished um, sports person as well, isn't she? Oh, no, she just loves skiing. She's just passionate about yeah. it. She's from Sweden, so she kind of has to be. That's why she's good at skiing. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But why not sailing and yachting like the rest of the family? Um, I think, f- for me, I just grew up with this, um, I kind of just wanted to do things my, my way. And for me, like sailing, the whole life of sailing was very um, laid out to me on like a silver platter almost. You know, I had my parents. My pa- because my dad was so, so into it, um, we I sort of you know got an optimist when I was really young, and I didn't really like ask for it. I didn't really want it. It, yeah. it was easy for me, and <laughs> for me, I just wanted to. Uh, I sort of liked the harder option, I guess. And skiing, um, again, skiing came really late for me. Like even though I was doing trips down to the mountain, I never even dreamed that I would go to the Olympics. It was yeah. not like that at all. It was just my escape of doing something that was really coming from me. No one told me to do it. No one asked me to do it, and. Yeah, loved it. No, that's awesome. So you leave high school and you hit the world circuit in just a few years. Like you said, you're a bit of a late starter. How was that journey? Because, I mean, let's be honest. If I said to you in year 12, and that's the six formers for the people of my generation. uh, (laughs) My generation, don't Yeah, yeah. Hey, Anna. uh, Let's go on the world circuit for skiing. You probably would have just looked at me and laughed and gone, yeah, okay then, cool. So how did, how did you start that process? Because obviously you're winning local and national comps here. Um, what was the aha for you, moment for you where you went, actually, you know what, I'm going to go and do the world circuit? Yeah, it was, to- it was a total journey. I didn't know, first of all, in stint form, I was quite like, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to study and that was a really stress. It was a really hard year for me actually because everyone makes it look like they... Yeah. know what they're doing right they make it look so chilled like I'm going to go and do this degree or that degree and you kind of believe them that yeah. they're so sure on themselves when obviously when you get older and wiser you realise they're just as scared as you they're just sort of better at fronting themselves whereas I wasn't that good at fronting myself I didn't like to lie and say I knew what I wanted to do because I didn't and I was in quite a lot of turmoil I ended up actually applying and getting into Victoria University to go down for photography because it was a passion of mine but then last minute, I was just got cold feet, and I was like, I can't sit in the classroom for another four years. I've just spent 13 years in the classroom. I need to, <laughs> I need to just to be free and go and like. So I decided to just do a season because I heard, you know, that was a fun thing to do. Yeah. Um, I, no one who has ever done a season has regretted it. <laughs> um, so I, so I moved down to Rupehu and um, worked in National Park. Worked at the only bar there. Um, and it was I, I skied every day and just fell in love with it and it, it wasn't park skiing which I got into later it was just skiing and just the lifestyle you know just uh, just being around like-minded people I growing up in Auckland it's such a melting pot of different types of people which is great but I kind of had found my people I was like wow these people don't live the nine to five they don't want to do the norm and and that was me so I um so I did that and I was like right I've got to do another one so I went to Canada that 
at the end of that year, saved up all my pen- pennies, worked in Tim Hortons, like mm-hmm. I told you. And um, and that was where I actually found, discovered park skiing. I didn't even know about it. And I didn't really, I for, for one, didn't know it was in the Olympics at this point. And then I, I started to enter sort of local competitions doing these like freestyle tricks, hucking myself. I had no clue what I was doing. I literally was just... um guessing I was copying the snowboarders because there was no other skiers who was doing what I was doing especially women um and I think that's why I was also attracted to it it was um something that not very many people did or could do and that to me was I was always drawn to that so um and it was sort of there where I was like wow I really want to give this a push like I was kind of like you know I don't know if I was any good but I thought I was you know and and then I ended up um doing a few more seasons back to back and really giving it a good shot and I it was it was it was when I decided to go to Breckenridge, which is the melting pot of like all the professional skiers sort of at the time, and that was really where I really saw the gap that I could bridge to get on the world tour, and somehow I managed to make it happen. That's all right. So it amazes me how many people that I've had on the podcast that have started their athletic career or their career in special forces or something else by looking at other people and going, I don't know, but I'm going to start copying other people. Yeah. that's really cool. Um, so you get selected, obviously, for the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, Russia. What was that lo- moment like for you? Because that must have been way cool. It was pretty unreal, especially because out of in my family, I come from such a sporty family, it was never going to be me. I was not the one who was going to yep. go to the Olympics. It was my brother, you know. He yep. was the one who was extremely talented in sailing, and, and it was never really on my radar. And then... My parents, again, they honestly thought I was just doing an epic job at avoiding university. They didn't really know the extent of, you know, where I was sort of getting in my skiing. And it wasn't until the sort of high-performance director from down south gave my dad a ring and was kind of like, oh, and has got a really good shot of qualifying for the Olympics. And, I mean, dad was just like, what? Like, you've got probably the wrong number. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And um, yeah. so, yeah, it was... And then when it sort of happened, my sport is different in the sense that it's very very high injury prone so Mm. you can't count your chickens until you're literally sitting on the plane and even then you've still got to get through training on these like 100 foot jumps so like you might not make it through training to the actual run too so for me it was always just like one foot in front of the other and when I qualified it was amazing but again like I I could go up the next day and be training and easily blow a knee like it was that and it wasn't like say something like swimming where like you're sort of once you're qualified you're you're gonna go you know you're not gonna like get injured um, so that was, so it was all, yeah, like I said, foot in front of the other and I made it and it was pretty crazy. You know, all the swimmers are going to be listening. Yeah, I know. Who's your thing is? You can get injured going swimming. Now, <laughs> I'm going to jump a couple of questions ahead here. Starting from your feet and working your way up your body, do you want to give us your injury list from skiing? Because like you said, it's pretty horrendous. You can just go out on a practice run, blow a knee out and then that's the end of your career. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'll so take you, you through. Um, so, well... I mean, probably like the 85 toenails I've lost from toe bang, that's yeah. in my toes. Then my ankles, I've sort of done like a little compression on one of them, blown my left knee completely. Um, I actually tore a, a lower abdominal muscle off my pelvic bone. Don't know how they, like, they were shocked at that injury. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a weird one. Um, I broke my lower back um, moving up. I blown my thumb out, I had two surgeries on it, and then I've had a lot of whiplash in my neck which is still causing me problems and then I've had um, multiple unfortunate concussions so yeah. from head to toe <laughs> at the ripe old age of 26 yeah, 27 yeah. 27 yeah. oh god 
Yeah, and some people look at rugby players and go, they're tough. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so you finished 15th in the qualifying at uh, the Winter Olympics, and you missed out on the finals by only two places. What were your feelings at the time? Because you must have been pissed that you'd missed the finals. Uh, but I've spoken to some other people who have been in sort of a similar situation as yours, and they sort of say, in two or three years after you kind of get over it, it's like, well, actually... Look at what I achieved. I achieved some amazing things. Yeah. So what were, what were your feelings like at the time and now when you look back on it? At the time, definite frustration. I was trying I, – I put down my first run, which I was really stoked on. That's like a um, – something that, you know, you, yeah, you don't want to go, go to something like the Olympics and then not be able to land your runs yep. that you've planned to do. So I landed my first one and then I tried to step it up for my second, but unfortunately had a little bobble so it didn't happen. But, but I, I mean, yes, I was frustrated, but also my dad was – because my dad is a long time – coach he's coached the olympics since 92 so he's very experienced with what to sort of say and he really gave me a lot of advice before going into the olympics and it was just you've the fact that you've made it is just incredible you know yeah. what i mean look at you two years ago you know you were making coffee at a 24-hour donut shop <laughs> and um so Some people would say that was nirvana that's all i'm saying but carry oh, on totally yeah, 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 but yeah. you know what i mean like yeah, it was yeah. it was such a just to get there was pretty amazing and once you're an olympian as well that you know that always reminds me you are an Olympian, and that's something that's really special. You're part of a unique club, and I was really proud of that. So, yeah, it didn't take me long to just be stoked with what I – and also that I also came out the, the alive. Like, I, our sport is so dangerous that sometimes, like, you have yeah. to pinch yourself to be like, I actually walked away from some pretty scary situations that could have damaged me permanently. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that forever, yeah. for my health. So when you see people going down the slopes and they go limp, as they land and you just go, oh. It's terrifying. I've seen that and yeah. it's just, yeah. Not cool. Um, so late December 2014, you suffer a significant knee injury, which ends your 2014-2015 Northern Hemisphere season. That was pretty much on the back end of the Winter Olympics, as I understand it. So yeah. you've done the Olympics and I've you're like Olympics. flying high. Here we go, I can get it. And then your knee blows out. Yeah. What, what was your, your train of thought there? Because you must have just been... Seriously, come on. Yeah, at the time, I mean, I was young. I was probably only twenty-two, and I was, um, or twenty-one even, and I was so so dramatic at the time. You know, this injury was just like the most heartbreaking, devastating thing to me. And looking back, it was one of the best things that could have happened to me because it gave me a chance to actually stop and smell the roses. I'd been doing this; it all happened so fast. I hadn't had a chance to really like reflect on it all and really appreciate it and. And take that take that second to be like, wow, I've gotten here, and so this actually injury allowed me that. I came home and removed myself from this bubble that was the skiing world that I was in, or high performance kind of world. And I kind of I I ended up doing like a lot of rehab was really important, obviously for my knee, and I could full time rehab, which I was very grateful for. Like you know, a lot of people can't yeah. give their body that time, and it just allowed me to really find a really true and a happiness that I and, and some skills that I still use to this day of, of finding that, that happiness Rock and we're going to talk about that in yeah. a second uh, then in 2016 tragedy strikes and you have an accident in which you suffer uh, two broken vertebrae and a head injury as well yeah so the, the, they were actually separated but I um, 2016 I, I I had a I was skiing really I finally I'd sort of gone ups and downs through my skiing through the injuries and I was at a point where actually I was not where I needed to be anymore I wasn't good enough and I was you know kind of facing getting dropped from the team and things weren't going that well in that regard and then I just turned and I'll talk about this but I turned things around within the space of like sort of three months I was like you know what I had to let my ego go I had to just 
really knuckled down and train hard. And I got there. I actually was skiing really well. They re-signed me on the team. Things were looking great. And then I had a really bad head injury. Yeah. And that was, I mean, a lot of, it was awful because I, I lost a lot of my, at the time, I lost my short-term memory for quite a significant amount of time. You know, that sort of sharpness that I that was gone. I lost my personality for a while, actually, there. Yeah. And it was the sort of a point in my skiing career where my family actually had to, my parents had to sit me down and be like, we would kick ourselves if you came to us, you know, a few years later and was like, why didn't you stop me? Yeah. Like, what I'm doing is insane. And so that was really airy to hear that from my parents. I mean, not my mom. My mom is always my mom and she's yeah. always crazy. But my dad, you know, that was really hard to hear from my dad. So, but I did make the decision with the neurologist and with all, all these different factors to go back and to, to, to still give Pyeongchang another push. Um, but that was where I first Olympic qualifiers where I broke my back. Yeah. So it was the nail in the coffin after yeah. a string. Can you understand, um, having been in that situation yourself, and I certainly can, um, those people who maybe will get that advice from the neurologist who, and say, look, perhaps this is the end for you, you're done because you've had too many concussions or head injuries. Those people who actually go, yeah, I might be done, but this is my choice and this yeah. is what I love. Yeah. Can you can you understand that? Yeah, I mean, totally. And I think it's important to get all the information. Don't be naive to it. You know, really reach out and get get the full picture and then when you do make that decision you know that you made it wholeheartedly and you made it with the with all the information yeah. so that if anything happens you made that call someone didn't tell you to do it or not to do it or if for example someone told me I couldn't go back and I didn't I would kind of always sit and wonder whether I could have gone to Pyeongchang and I would hate that too so it's just important to get all the information and and looking back uh, like a bit older and wiser and realizing the life that I had have ahead of me um, I maybe wouldn't have gone back but at yeah. the time it was the right for me it was the right decision and I would have regretted it if yeah, I didn't like most people most young people <laughs> young and bulletproof yeah 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 so that's all good yeah so uh, you said that your personality changed quite a bit after your head injury how did it change well it's hard to know you know yeah, because yeah. like that's the biggest scariest thing with injury, head injuries is like you don't know the person that you were yesterday when you've had a head injury yeah you don't no. it's like it's literally like dropping your hard drive that's your everything yeah um but it was sort of times when my flatmates would be like oh oh anna's back and yeah. you'd be like Wait, where did i go yeah, yeah. like and it would just be that sort of and they said it was more just like my humor and like those sort of little little like embellishments that you have on your personality that makes you you kind of disappears and you become a bit um just a bit not like yourself and i've recently um uh watched my partner actually go through a concussion it's weird watching someone else do it and they sort of you can see them losing themselves a little bit too and it's and that was what it was like. So it's it's, yeah. it's, it's scary. Uh, what is it? I'm just trying to think. Muhammad Ali used to call it the room of half dreams. You can't tell whether you're awake, asleep, what room you're in or anything else. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I can't imagine what his were like. Yeah, I hate to think. Yeah. Uh, so, um, what when you had your head injury, what started happening in your head for you? Was it just like, were you confused? Did you have the constant reoccurring headaches that some football players have? Um, did you, you know, was, did you have the, it, the pain or? No, at the time it wasn't um, anything physical. I, I hit the back of my head, which caused the frontal lobe to be affected mostly, which was sort of, it wasn't physical symptoms. It wasn't sort of fatigue or anything. It was more like memory. Yeah. And, um, and you know, those sorts of, I guess, your personality more and your wit and your humor and whatever. Um, but for me, uh, it was my short term memory. Like if you had asked me, you know, hey, Anna, like, what did you do yesterday? 
it took me about two minutes to figure out what I did yesterday. Yeah. So I didn't have that sort of like instant, um, yeah, it would, it would take me a lot. It was fogginess. And, and like I could think back, it wasn't my long-term memory, it was definitely my short-term memory. And yeah. I, I worked hard on it. I did like, you know those like Sudoku games? Oh, yeah. um, I yeah. actually did them a lot and um, just trying to get my brain moving again and functioning. So, yeah. Eight out of ten cats does countdown. So, <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, right. So then after you have finished your career, you go and work in a sailing resort. Yeah. And do a whole bunch of stuff. You go sort of all around Europe from the looks of it. Yeah. Um, jealous. And <laughs> Uh, but then you get hit by a bike and you wake up in the back of an ambulance one night after you have just sort of, I guess you're just sort of out and about, just wandering around. Yeah, it was really, it was a freak accident. It was like, uh, I'd actually, uh, so I'd, I'd retired, I'd told all my sponsors and I told my friends and family that I was retiring, but I hadn't really told like, you know, my following on social media and stuff. And I was in Spain at the time and I just sort of started this big, you know, travel solo trip. And um, I... I announced, I wrote this heartfelt message out onto to my social media and I did a post and it was amazing. Like, over, so many messages, I couldn't believe it. It was actually really like, wow, so many people actually cared and it, it felt, it was a really nice day, you know. It was like, wow, I've done this, this is happening, I'm retired to live a safe life. And then, <laughs> um, no joke, it was like a cruel joke on the universe. Um, 12 hours later, I was walking back from like a restaurant in Spain and I'd just moved there, so I was only four days in, so or three days in. And um, a bike hit me like full pace going down a ma- like down. So I was at the bottom of a hill. He didn't see me. It was, it was pitch black. And um, he hit me probably going like 60 kilometers. And I got fully bowled over. I think he came off and got pretty hurt too. But I, he realized that I was in more of a state. And I lost like, I don't remember it really happening. I remember my face. I had, I hit the front of my face. So it was all puffy. And I split my lip and I was bleeding. And um, my my brain was like really I was so injured and I remember yeah. thinking like this might be it because I've had so many and this is like by far the worst and most dramatic one I've had I woke up like you know in the ambulance I remember I remember thinking I didn't know why I was in Spain yeah. like on this island like yeah. that was how bad my memory was at the time and I called my dad and my dad was driving and I um this was after I had my CTs on and or maybe it was just before and I had FaceTime on and he he pulled over and he was like just started crying like he just was yeah. in so much shock that this had, this had happened to me yeah, after yeah. after having so many injuries and then this so um I somehow though that was rock a bit, a bit of rock bottom for me you know I spent a couple of days in hospital and it was a, one of those times I really allowed myself to feel bloody sorry for myself. And then I think it's not a bad thing when really bad things happen to you. Like, because I was just like, what, what else can I do but climb back up? Yeah. So I ended up recovering quite quickly from that injury because it was, I think it was because I don't know where, how brain injuries work. They're so different and so vast. And yes, this one was very horrendous, but it actually, I recovered from it pretty well. That old samurai saying, fall down seven, get up eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly right. How many times have you been concussed? Um, that you can remember? Probably like maybe a good five or six, yeah. 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 But it's, um, they're, again, they're all so different and I'm getting fixed from it now. Um, late, later in my life, at the time, you know, yeah. you just don't even care. But Do yeah. you get worried about um, when you see the results of like CIT and you see some of, um, some of the athletes that we all look at well looked at as kids um particularly 
um, and the trauma-inducing sports like UFC, for instance, mm. and rugby and that type of stuff, when they get into their sort of mid-40s and early 50s and they've got these constant recurring headaches. Oh, without a doubt. Short-term memory anyway. There's, there's not a doubt in my mind. I'm stressed. Of, of course I'm worried about that, you know, yeah. like CTE and stuff. Like I, But, like, I and, and it is what it is and you just have to look after yourself and really appreciate your health and that's what I'm just going to really focus on over the next you know, for the rest yep. of my life is that those days that you are feeling good, appreciate them. Take a second yeah, and be yeah. like, I'm healthy because the next day you never know what's going to happen yep. and, or to a loved one. So you just have to, you just have to really enjoy the days that you're feeling good. Not wrong. Um, so you continue around Europe after your accident. Full kudos for that. <laughs> working on yachts in Croatia, backpacking and living in Berlin and London. What made you come back home to New Zealand? Because lots of people, they start doing that. Yeah. Like, particularly you, you, I mean, I'm not saying you're finished, but you'd retired. Yeah. Um, you'd had sort of a, an injury, and you're like, okay, I'm back up on my feet again. Was there ever any part of you that went, you know what, I'm just going to stay in Europe for the rest of my days? For sure. But it was out of fear. Like, it was, for me, it was, I kept booking flights, I kept partying, I kept going to, you know, just traveling and living this, like, carefree life because I was afraid of the alternative yeah. I was afraid of coming home and being in a lot of ways I was insecure about the fact that I'd, just, I'd chosen a different path than my friends and and I was you know successful in it so that that was a positive but I was suddenly out the other side without a qualification you know without the I obviously looking back I have a lot of life's experience and stuff and yeah, yeah. had an incredible time don't get me wrong but I'd chosen this different path all my friends were sort of in these like career paths and I felt like the only thing I could do was work in the cafe yeah even though you know like it's that but that's how I felt so I was really insecure and and, and I felt insignificant, you know, I just didn't know what to come home to. So I kept traveling and I kept sort of, you know, just partying and losing myself. And I just got tired. I got to a point where I was, wasn't, it wasn't making me happy anymore. Yeah. And I needed to come home and just hit reset and get healthy again. And, and luckily like just right place, right time. And, and, and I came home and, um, I, I got a call from Haley Holt and she had gotten her promotion at at breakfast and she said do you want to meet my boss Rick and she was like what are you doing with your life and I was like you tell me mate (laughs) I'm doing this now I would seem yeah Yeah. um your childhood was like a really traveling one from the looks of it as the uh, uh, like I look at my family and then I look at people like you with your family and I'm like same same it's like that awesome force and we've all all got one another's backs and all that type of stuff you travel to Fiji, you do a road trip around Europe at the age of seven, and then you go around Spain following your dad's sailing. Do you think that that um, is partly the reason that you sort of had the travel bug going around Europe and everything else? Because you were... Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Like, I think for me, because my mum is also, I'm half Swedish and I've got a big family in Sweden, um, which is literally on the other side of the world, you know, when you think about it. And because of that, because of my connection with them and because of dad's job in Europe, because he worked um, mainly for the British Olympic team since I was born. Um, it meant that, like, the world just was small to me. Yeah. It was accessible. Yeah. And if you worked hard, you know, you, you know, you, you, it was achievable to travel. And, um, you know, like, obviously it's... I was grateful enough to be able to, like, you know, work when I was little and just, like, it was a big part of... Travelling was always something that I enjoyed. And, and it made me sort of understand and appreciate different cultures, different places, different people... At, from a really young age and I grew up around a lot of adults yeah. because of um, which I I think it's great for a kid yeah and that is why Anna was grinning from ear to ear when she was doing Abba on Dancing with the Stars in case you don't realise alright um, yeah. so you're a fellow Murray's Bay wharf jumper like me 
Uh, And if you've never done it, go out and do it because it's one of the coolest things you can actually do on the North Shore or in Auckland, I think. And it's been renovated now. It's nice sketchy with nails sticking out. Yeah, it's taking the fun out of it, Ricardo. What's your best memory of living on the North Shore as a kid? Like, for me, when people say that to me, I always say it's the fact that pretty much I can go anywhere on the North Shore and I can turn around and I can look and Arangatoto is there. Mm. That, to me, is the... And I've seen you do up on Instagram, like, Oh, look at that. There's that island behind, aren't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, what's your, like, your big thing about living on the shore? I know that you're not there now, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, we've still got a family house there, which is great. Um, yeah. But I, I actually grew up, sort of, we travelled, well, not travelled, we um, moved around a little bit, but in the end, for my last sort of 10 years there, my parents bought this old sort of 70s house that had the most incredible view over the Gulf. And for me, um, again, the connection to the islands and the Haroki Gulf, and because my... We had a little family yacht when we were growing up, so I really understood the Haraki Golf. I, you know, um, all the islands and Terry and everything we would go to in the weekends and yep. in the summer as well. And I think, yeah, just that, just having that ocean surrounding you is is really cool. And it was a really safe place, and it was fun to sort of, you know, muck around, be young, like sneak out, and worst thing, you know, hang out by the beach, yep. and you know, it was it was it was a cool it was a cool place. I hear you. You'd, so you took over from Haley. Hold on, the crowd goes wild. Uh, but you also get diagnosed with depression and anxiety at the same time, and you've met somebody that you just you love as well. Um, how was all that? Did you think, oh man, karma's come back to bite me again? What the hell's going on here? That's like, here we go again. Yeah, kind of like it was funny because I I because of my everyone always says I, I was so warned a thousand times of being in a professional athlete when you retire you're going to hit the wall like yeah. you're, go, you're going to have an identity crisis you're going to probably get really depressed and all this stuff so I was prepped for it I literally was like right here we go you know <laughs> what I mean I've got this yeah. and then it didn't come I sort of just kept trudging through and I was like okay you know so even that full year after I retired I hadn't sort of had a moment but it was because I was sort of running I think from yeah. this sort of like life and I got this job that I was amazed to get and really proud of. I finally had another sort of identity where I was like, I'm really proud of this. I'm proud to be a sports reporter. I enjoy it. And I met someone that I love, you know, and that was amazing too. And and then it's sort of within the space of sort of halfway through that year, so this was sort of six months from being home, I just started to sort of spin out of control and like starting to lose the person that I had worked so hard to be, you know. Suddenly this person who was so carefree and so didn't sweat any small stuff suddenly was like stressed about the small little things you know and was worried about what people thought of me was worried about what I was what I was doing at work was would focus on the one or like one little thing that happened at work that was bad and not focus on the nine different good things and it was really out of control and I just stopped being able to cope I would get panic attacks because I couldn't cope with what was on my plate and I used to be someone who could say yes to everything you know yes to you know, go to work and then, or like having a coffee with a friend before work and then going to work and then coming home, going to the gym, going to meet a friend for a drink. Like I was that kind of person who could do everything, well, you know, yeah. packed my thing. And then suddenly I wasn't. Suddenly I could barely cope getting up and going to work without having a panic attack. Yeah. So I got some, for me it was, I went and started to see someone about it because, you know, I for me I just wanted to explore that and understand what was going on. So um, I found a therapist that I really enjoyed and helped me reflect on everything and sort of helped me find coping strategies and what was really going on and in the end I think a lot of it was um I forget the name of it what they sort of said I was going through but it was it's a lot to do with the fact that I was transitioning 
right. into a whole new sort of yep. chapter in life. Yeah, yeah. And that was really tough. Yep. It's, uh, if somebody once described it to me, you're letting go of the glass of knowledge to grab another glass, and it's when you go to grab the yeah. other glass, you realise that you actually don't have any control over any glass. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it. Um, it's a stark reminder that depression can hit anybody at any stage, at any time of their life, right? Um, and I've, I'm not going to lie to you, I've had dozens of DMs come through on the Coppuccino podcast Instagram say, can you tell Anna that um, she's wonderful, she's amazing, thank you for being so open and honest, uh, I'm a mental health survivor myself, blah, 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 etc, etc. A lot of the people have said, what's the space that you go to to go from, as, as we put it in layman's terms, your bad space to your good space? So how do you get to your good space when you go, you know what, I'm having a really crappy day here. Yeah. How do, you, how do you get yourself out of the hole, so to speak? It's honestly, first of all, I want to say it's not easy. Like, right. uh, it's it's right. not, it's, just, it's not, it's, uh, I wish that there was sort of like, and, and I think before I'd sort of um, gone through my, my own sort of stuff, you, you it's so hard to understand. And I was fortunate enough to not have sort of had to deal with mental health issues when I was younger. And I, and I had a few friends who actually was going through something earlier before I sort of went through it as well. And it was so hard to grasp what they were going through. Yeah. And, you know, you just kind of like, but maybe you should just go for a walk and like, you know, you try to, you, you don't understand. Yeah. And when you're in it, it's not easy and it's, it's not. And for me, it was just, first of all, the biggest thing for me, the big first step was opening up to loved ones about what I was going through. Yeah. And so I told my family and they were like, to be honest, because they also, none of them have sort of suffered from anything like this. They were like, what? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. this is, this depression and Anna has never been put in the same sentence. Yeah. Um, and, but but it was, felt good to tell them and so that they can sort of understand and support me in a different way. Yeah. Um, and tell my friends as well that I sort of couldn't add, um, I couldn't give them what I used to be able to give them. I used to be able to be the, I was the one who supported a lot of, a lot of them and suddenly I wasn't able to and that didn't make me feel good. Like, yeah. I didn't make me feel like a good friend. But telling them made them understand a little bit more about what I was, what was going through. And then, and then there's little things that I do, you know, I, um, I, for me it's getting out into the nature is really important. Yeah. It's finding, if you, you sometimes I'll be having a really busy or hectic and not very nice week and I'll think to myself when, when was the last time I did something just for myself you yeah. know whether it be whatever that may be maybe, maybe it's reading a book in the sun or whether it's going for a bike ride or going to the driving range by yourself just doing something that's that's for you that's really important yeah. just to take control over sort of your mental well-being again yeah. is key yeah and I think for some people um, like you said you know a lot of people don't have any idea they don't understand I've never suffered from mental health issues but I have obviously seen lots of mental health issues yeah and I've worked with lots of people who are trying to help with mental health issues um, but you know just giving you a hug and saying yeah, you'll be okay babe you'll be alright yeah isn't going to work for no. you no yeah um what advice would you give to somebody who is in that situation where maybe they've just started off and they're going, actually, you know what, things aren't going that well for me. What, what would you say to them? I'd say it's okay first. Like, yeah. you know, for one, it, there's, there's no, absolutely no shame in it. In fact, like, you know, at some point in your life, you're going you, yeah. you to sort of go through something. So it's perfectly normal. Um, and then I think it's just take, giving yourself the time and the self-love that you really really deserve and often you know it's someone who's could be quite a busy person and it's it's actually putting pause on that for a little bit and and taking a second to give you give yourself what you need yeah. and it might look different to what it used to be you know for me it was 
half an hour of yoga could cut it. <laughs> Whereas yeah. now, you know, it's actually sometimes taking a full day off work, a mental health day to go for a walk or something. I did that recently. I took a day off work and went back to the bays actually and walked a massive yeah, yeah. block along. And I just needed to just take a second and and it's, and sometimes it is taking a day off work. Sometimes it is taking some big things off your calendar, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly right. And for some people, um, they actually don't realise that they've got some issues, like you said, that they might be really, really busy, but then when they're not so busy all of a sudden and they have to sort of stay in their own company, they get really worried and depressed and this is what my life's going to look like and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. Like you say, it's okay. It's okay to reach out. It's okay to talk to people. Um, and if people approach you and they come and approach you with this type of stuff, then like uh, my brother from another mother, Mike King, always says, if you have <laughs> no idea how to deal with it, just say to them, I'm here to listen to you. Uh, we are going to get through this and I'm not going to let you down. Yeah. You know, that's probably the best thing. Totally. Speaking of letting people down, no, I'm not teasing. <laughs> um, Dancing with the Stars happened and I remember seeing you a week before your reveal and you were like, oh, I don't know if this is the, have I done the right thing? I'm not too sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, when we met one another for the first time at the Mental Health Foundation, um, obviously Susie Cato was in the room. She's like, you'll be amazing. You'll be yeah. fine. But l- let's be honest. That's one hell of a scary ride from what I've seen. Uh, you, you've danced, like you said, you've danced a little bit, but uh, you're in front of the entire nation. Yeah. You can easily slip, land on your ass, and just look like a complete lemon, let's yeah. be honest. Uh, I know that you tra- you train really, really hard. What was that roller coaster ride like? Well, funnily enough, like uh, the for me, as someone coming from like a high-performance sport background where I actually relish in competition and and sort of... I have, I really, what I actually learned about myself in the last wee while is when I have a really clear goal, a really clear target, for me it was going to be in the best gear I could be. Life just kind of, everything just disappears. All, the, all your priorities, your priorities are so focused. It's actually a really happy place for me. So, um, and I learned that because when I'm not, I don't have a really clear target, that's when I can often slip into a bit of depression and anxiety. Yeah. When things are just like floating along and you're busy, but you're like, what's what's really happening? But Dancing with the Stars kind of gave me that, oh wait, I've got this like clear focus and this clear goal. And yes, I was getting up at five in the morning and, you know, then working, you know, dancing for five hours and then going to a full day of work and then coming home and only, only having energy to go to sleep. Yeah. Uh, I was actually all good. The only problem was is um, I was also suffering from chronic pain. I, I get really bad headaches and migraines. Yeah. And I remember it was a really bad period of that when I was on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Um, so it was coping with that too. But when I was actually out there and on stage, of course I was nervous, but I was also like, I'm not a dancer. This is I'm just putting out what I've been doing, and it's okay. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I get more nervous about my own job than I did about yeah. Dancing with the Stars. And that's the cool thing as well. I think that, um, like most people who have done anything like that, you're not afraid to fail either. You'll just go, yeah, I'll give it my best shot. That's part of the reason I started jiu-jitsu 18 months ago. I'm just like, let's go. We'll just we'll yeah. see what happens. It's um, a cool challenge. Were you peeved off when you got exited? from the show yeah definitely I was so ready to give it like a few more weeks at least you know for sure but I understand like there's just so much that that goes into that show and in regards to who goes off and who all that jazz but I had I was so grateful it was kind of like the Olympics I was also quite shocked I was on there you know what I mean like it was wow I'm on the show that I never thought I'd be on um and that's amazing in itself. The fact that I was selected over six other, you know, there was only six women on that show. 
in the whole of New Zealand, like that, I was really grateful for that. Yeah. So being part of something so cool like that, and the production team were amazing. So yeah. that was cool. And now you can go to almost any party and just everybody <laughs> expects you to be an amazing dancer, right? Eh? <laughs> well, I'm going to a party later, and I'm going to be wearing my ABBA costume. So All I'm right, quite excited. Yeah. So I'm, we won't ask anymore. We'll just let it go. <laughs> um, right, where to from here? Because like you said, you like to focus on stuff, and obviously, if you see Anna and she's out and about in public and she's got a game face on, she's obviously having a happy day. Yeah. Um, but where to from here what's your next focus for you um for me it's um it's work like yeah. it's really fun to sort of have those goals and be giving something 100% again um it's also a really big challenge for me because it's it's something that i i'm intimidated about my work i'm i'm insecure sometimes i'm insecure about my work sometimes i go to work and i'm actually not feeling like i'm the I'm the best in the room you know what i mean because it's i'm learning so much it's a recent yeah. kind of career move yeah. this whole journalism thing but so it's actually a challenge for me to back myself to be yeah. like I've got this actually I deserve to be here um so in that in itself is a journey and that's actually quite I need to see it as a positive not a hindrance that I'm actually learning that much about myself so it's sort of creating goals I have I want to be in broadcasting in specific sports I want to be the best at certain sports Welcome. for sailing for example like I've come full circle and now I love sailing <laughs> and um it's funny how that works isn't it and yeah. um you know with america's cup coming and with my family so involved with sailing and the Volvo ocean race and stuff like i would love to be a front runner in broadcasting and yeah. that you know yeah. that, that means a lot i'm gonna give you six months in and then i'll give you a phone call for brian and bobby's safety video okay it's like another dimension when bobby's there that's all i'm gonna say okay i'm uh, looking forward right, to it cool, right uh so some whole pile of instagram questions for you is lycra cold in the snow when you're standing on top of that thing i've been in like minus 38 yeah uh, and i've been rugged up like beyond belief that like basically the only thing you can see is my eyes and that's only then i'll put goggles on but you're standing at the top of your run and obviously you're wearing lycra because you need to make that fast well you, you actually wanna... we don't because because i'm a freestyle slope style skier it's not like a it's not yeah. a, i'm not racing so I luckily we don't have to wear a lycra, Ooh, which is yeah. great. So, yeah. um, so we can rug up as much as possible that will, like yeah, you know, yeah. still have movement. But I always find it's, it yeah, absolutely it, absurd because you see these skiers in lycra and then they get down and they've got like uh, a neck gate and maybe a woolly hat on. I'm like, man, you must be freezing. I know, yep. but those suits are expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, but um, but yes, I've been in some insanely, insanely cold temperatures and I've never enjoyed it, even though people think I do, but I don't. Yeah. Uh, what helps you stay mentally on top and not get low day to day? What's the, like if you had one or two things that you went, I've always got to do this. So for me, it's something that's really important and a big tip I think to anyone is I, when I'm really feeling low or whatever and having a bad day, I take a step away and I look at the big picture. Yeah. Sometimes I maybe focus too much on the big picture, but um, for me, it's really helpful. I think I take a step back and I think, okay, I've got... So I might be stressing over like a real small aspect of everything. And then I step back and I've actually realized I've got a really amazing family, a supportive family. I'm, I've got a roof over my head. Yeah. Um, I've got a job that I love. You know, it might not be a good day in the job, but whatever. It's the job yeah. that I love. Um, I've got my health right now. I've got a loved one who cares about me, you know, more than anything. And that that just brings me back out. I go, oh, wow, I've actually got a lot. Yeah, yeah. Who cares that, like, this person's angry at me about some job or like whatever. Like, it's it's... It's taking that step back. Yep. So I recommend doing that for everyone. Is like, And also focusing, for me, sometimes I get so stressed in the moment, take a step back and think about all those elements. Also going as far out to thinking, 
I'm from New Zealand. Like, how cool is that in itself? You know, there are people who would just die to be from a place like this yeah. and have a passport from New Zealand. You know, I literally sometimes go that far out. I'm literally like, oh, cool, yeah, we're on the bottom cool. of the surf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, I think, you know, I think in my future, I think, okay, you know, I've got dreams about moving back down to Wanaka and having like a really different kind of life than I'm living now. And focusing on that can help me get through this this time here. Because yeah. this is, I'm just in like, I talked about, I talk about this a lot, but this is just one chapter in your massive book that yeah, you've yeah. got. So yeah. just turn the page. Yeah, not wrong, not wrong. Um, and that came from one of the brothers that I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with who said, anytime Anna wants to come and do Jiu-Jitsu to like, help her with a com- competitive streak. Yeah. Let me know. All like, right. Yeah, okay, cool. All right. Cool. Yeah, you have to come and roll with me first, though, all right? Yeah, sounds okay. good. Uh, any winter sport, if not skiing, if you could do any other winter sport, what would it have been? Well, I've always thought the the ice dance is very pretty. Figure oh, skating is gorgeous. What would Brian Boitano do? Yeah, <laughs> good, yeah. um, but otherwise, probably snowboarding is pretty epic, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you obviously have a dabble at that as you, well. You want um, me to say ice hockey, don't you? No, I don't want to say ice hockey. <laughs> Not everybody can play ice hockey, yeah. <laughs> even though it is God's sport, just saying. Uh, bucket list for sports reporting. If you could do any interview with any person or any team or anything else anywhere in the world, who would it be? Um, I think right now, I honestly, it's, a, it's for me, it's... I see it, and I want to be, um, when the America's Cup, I want to be interviewing Pete Berlin after they've hold, held up the America's Cup. I love you. And it's staying back week. in New Zealand. Yeah. Oh, we've got this, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Or it would be, um, I love and obsessed with the, the ocean, the Volvo Ocean Race, which is now the Ocean Race, but, um, you know, that that is just brutal. Nine months around the world sailing in the most crazy conditions, and yeah. I don't think I'd ever maybe cut it as an onboard reporter, but I would love to be following that around the world. It would be pretty amazing. You just want to be helicoptered in. <laughs> Yeah, just one of those lashes who turns out for like five minutes, does the report, and then jumps no, off. Come off no, come off it. I'm but yeah. P- Peter Blake's son actually was an onboard reporter in this last thing, which yeah. is pretty incredible. Yeah, I think following his dad's yeah. legacy in his own kind of path, yeah. I think is I'm very impressed by that. Let's hope he actually gets behind the wheel. That's <laughs> well, uh, favorite teams in sport. Oh, okay. So let's do it from the top: rugby, All Blacks, provincial. Or super? Oh, okay. Um, probably Highlanders then. League? Um, oh, I don't want to say the Warriors. <laughs> the Warriors make me sad. You, you won't upset me because uh, I'm a South Sydney fan, so it's all good. Yep. Um, league, I don't know them because... Okay, that's all yeah, good. That's yeah. fine. Uh, football, soccer? Oh, I don't have it. Probably the, the girls then, the, the um, football fans. Beautiful. Uh, any other sports that you follow? Basketball? Basketball, um, I, I'm not like... Uh, Maybe the Lakers now. Oh, it's a Celtics man. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, what's the one interview that you want to do with anybody? Anybody in the world. Could be a politician, could be a sports person. And I'm talking five, ten years down the track when you have hit your, your journalistic peak. This is an amazing question and it's taken me... Um, I, it's got to be a woman. I just, uh, you know, that would be... Someone who, I'm trying so I'm to guessing think. I'm out of the loop there. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me think. I can't think right now. Oh, can, I, can, I, can I get back to you? Yeah, I'll, text I'll me back and I'll, I'll comment to, on this. I'll have to edit something on the end and go, yeah, and yeah, Anna's yeah. answer to that question was this. Okay, cool. No worries. Right. Um, so the one question that I always do at the end of the cappuccino is this. It's your day of reckoning. You have passed away. You're in your casket, and but strangely enough, you your ears are still working, so you can hear what people are going to say about Anna Wilcox. What would you 
lightning to say about Anna and just a sentence or two um I hope that I've um I think inspired people you know that's for me the probably an amazing if I've inspired just one person that would be pretty incredible just for people to really believe in themselves to to not you don't have to do what everyone else does to make a good life yep rocking uh now if we want to follow you on social media and trust me you do because this lady is brutally honest about her battles every day and it's something that I think everybody needs to see. When Anna's having good times, you get to have good times with her. And when she's having sort of an average day, she'll let you know that it's an average day, which is something that's very rare and unique. And I love you to bits for it uh, on Instagram because it's there's no falseness behind it. No. Um, <laughs> where's the best place for us to go? Um, just Instagram's probably the best. So it's um, at Anna underscore Wilcox. And it's two N's and two L's on that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. everyone always loses the two L's. And, it's, and also... Um, yeah, on Twitter as well, but I'm mainly mainly using Instagram. Yeah, and you've got a Facebook page as well, which has only yeah. got like 108,000 yeah. followers. What the hell am I? <laughs> Brian and Bobby's only got four. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and finally, competition time question. I've got two uh, 5'11 hats from my friends at Tactical Solutions. The question I'm going to ask you is, how many times has Anna been concussed? That's, again, how many times has Anna been concussed? You have to send me a DM to Coppuccino Podcast. That's all one word on Instagram. Anna Wilcox, thank you very much. Uh, it's been enlightening as always. Uh, like I said, keep up the amazing that you are because uh, some of the stuff that you post and do and everything else, it, it is inspiring. Um, and you probably don't want to hear this, but I think it's probably more inspiring than the stuff that you did on the ski slopes oh, for a yeah. lot of people. So Thank you. Easy. Thanks so much. Coppuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.